Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. This year, bring the celebration of Christmas home through Turning Point's online Home for Christmas channel. Fill your season with all your favorite holiday traditions, music, carols, laughter, inspirational Bible teaching, and more. All at your fingertips, completely free. To be played on your phone, your car, at home, or anywhere you need a little Christmas. Simply log on to davidjeremiah.org or turningpoint.tv. There are just three little words in Matthew's account of the nativity story, and they're easy to overlook. But those three words changed human history. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah sheds more light on the meaning of God with us and the impact of our Creator taking on human form in the person of Jesus. With the conclusion of his message, Why Call Him Emmanuel, here's David. And thank you for joining us. This is Christmas week. We're just a few hours away from the celebration of our Lord's birthday, and we're contemplating some of the questions that surround his coming to this world. One of those questions is, why call him Emmanuel? He was given many names, but one of them was this, you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us, and this was the way a name could convey a mission. His mission was to come and be one of us. He took upon himself human flesh and walked among us on this earth, identifying with us in all of our joys and sorrows. Becoming one of us, he lived his life sinlessly. And as the spotless Lamb of God, he went to the cross and died for us. But here's the wonderful message for right now, If you're a Christian, you can't forget that Christmas is all about God loving you so much that he sent his own son to be among us and that God is with you. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're experiencing, whatever's challenging you, whatever you've never experienced before in your whole life, let me tell you this, God is with you. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 1.23 and let's reflect upon that truth. Because God is with us, we can endure the difficult circumstances of life. I want to read with you a scripture. I want to read it first the way we would normally read it, and then I want to read it the way I believe it should be read. This is what the scripture says. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Now listen. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What the Lord has said is so that we can say, What God has said about himself and his presence with us, he has said to us so that you and I may be able to say, I don't have to be afraid. What can man do to me? 
I have the Lord with me. The Lord is with me. Psalm 27 is almost exactly the same way. Psalm 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Throughout the scriptures, this concept is repeated over and over again. Psalm 118, verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isaiah 43 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame scorch you. Here is the truth of Emmanuel brought down to the everyday experience of each one of us. When we're in difficult circumstances, we are never there alone. He is with us. He has promised that a part of his coming to be one of us is that he might be with us in the midst of all of our challenges. In the Christmas rush, in the disappointment of the year-end bonus, in the preparation for the new year, in all of the things that touch our lives, he is there. He is there with us. One of the stories that came out of 9-11 was the story of the cross. On a September morning in 2001, as he was searching for bodies amid the wreckage of the Twin Towers, Frank Cilicia stumbled across a 22-foot-tall steel beam cross. The collapse of Tower 1 on Building 6 had created a chamber in the clutter, and through the dusty sunrise, Frank spotted this cross. No winch had hoisted it, No cement had secured it. The iron beams stood independent of human help. Several days later, engineers realized the beams of the large cross came from two different buildings. When one crashed into another, the two girders bonded into one forged by the fire. And when people would ask, where is God at 9-11? Where is the Almighty in the midst of all of the rubble? Frank and his friends would point and say, the cross is in the midst of the crisis. He is always there. Max Licato once wrote, God gets into things, doesn't he? He gets into red seas and big fish and lion's dens and furnaces. God gets into bankrupt businesses and jail cells and Judean weddings and funerals and Galilean tempests. Look and you will find what everyone from Moses to Martha has discovered, God in the middle of your storms. And one of the blessings of knowing that God is with us is that he is with us to help us in the difficult circumstances of life. I'm sure I speak to some today who are in circumstances like that right now. Maybe you have been feeling particularly alone during this season, wondering if you are going to be left to carry this all by yourself. I promise you, if you know the one of whom I am speaking, you are not alone, nor were you ever alone, nor will you ever be alone. He has promised to be with you. Secondly, because God is with us, we can expect the direct answers to our prayers. There is a marvelous passage of scripture, once again in the book of Hebrews, where we are told about the lifestyle of this one who came to be 
one of us. I want to read this to you, and I think you will immediately make the connection. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tested or tempted as we are, yet without sin. What the writer of Hebrews has said is this, that our high priest, the Lord Jesus, this one who has come to be with us, has a vast storehouse of experience that encompasses every experience that you and I would ever have. He writes about the fact that he has been tested in every kind of weakness that is known to man apart from having sinned. And that whatever it is that you experience, whatever I experience, whatever difficulty I go through, I have a high priest, I have an Emmanuel who has been there and done that. And when I go to him, he totally understands. Isn't it wonderful to talk to somebody who understands? Somebody who's been there, who's been through it. And the Bible tells us in this passage of Scripture that this one who has come to be with us is one who has walked where we have walked, experienced what we have experienced, and every sorrow and agony, every disappointment that we have known, the Son of God knew while he was on this earth. And having said all of that, the writer of Hebrews makes this point. Here is the takeaway. Because that is true, notice the rest of the verse. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy to help in the time of need. Oh, wow, what a promise. This one who has known all that we are knowing, all the experience, all of the hurt, all of the sorrow, all the disappointment, this one has invited us to come. Notice, to come boldly. Just come and blurt it all out. Say, Lord, you've been there. You've experienced it. Let me tell you what I feel. What's happening in my heart right now? Lord God, hear my prayer. And the Bible tells us because of what he has experienced as our high priest, he is able to sympathize, to identify with our weaknesses. Because God is with us. We can face the difficult circumstances in our life. We can find direct answers to our prayers. But here's one that may be particularly for me and others like me who do the kind of thing that I do. But in essence, all of us here, in some way or another, are involved in some sort of ministry, touching the lives of others. But the third point is this. Because God is with us, we can embrace the demanding challenges of ministry. I made a startling discovery when I was studying the Old Testament some time ago. It probably won't surprise any of you to know what I discovered. And that is that everybody that God wanted to do something difficult didn't want to do it. <laughs> Every time God went to somebody and said, this is what I want you to do, they had a hundred reasons why they weren't the right person for the job. Sound familiar? <laughs> and most of the time behind their reticence to respond was fear. The thought that they weren't able to do it. That they couldn't accomplish it. 
Think of Moses. <laughs> One day God came to Moses and he said, you know, these four grumbling, complaining, miserably unhappy Jewish people here in Egypt, four million, <laughs> I want you to lead them out. You want me to do what? <laughs> I want you to be the leader and take them out of Egypt to the promised land. And if you know the story, you've read it. Moses had his own little paradigm of why he shouldn't be the person. But I want you to remember what God said to him in Exodus 4.12. These are the words of the Lord. Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. I couldn't help but throw in. Don't you wish some people you know would take this seriously and let God be with their mouth? I mean, this is something we should probably just put in the footnotes of our message for today. God said, Moses, I know you don't consider yourself to be an orator, that you're slow of speech, and you don't think you can stand in front of this horde of people and lead them. But Moses, don't worry about it, because I will be with your mouth, and I'll tell you what to say. Joshua had a similar problem. He was supposed to take the children of Israel into the promised land and help them settle the land of Canaan. And just like Moses, he was afraid. One day the Lord God said to Joshua in the first chapter of Joshua, Have not I commanded you, be strong and of a good courage. Don't be afraid, Joshua. Don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When Jeremiah the prophet was commissioned to go to a stubborn people with the message of judgment and was told in advance of his going that, number one, they wouldn't listen to anything he had to say, and if by accident they happened to hear any of it, they wouldn't do it. And obviously Jeremiah wasn't too excited about that assignment. God said to Jeremiah, wait a minute, Jeremiah 1.8, do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And to the disciples in us, the Lord comes with this incredible challenge to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them and teaching them everything the Lord has taught us and teaching them to observe it. And we stand in awe of such an assignment that is so overwhelming to us, and then we hear these words from the Lord, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Can you imagine our friends, Al and Sue Graham, being called to go to a tribe of Indians to teach them the word of God and discovering that they did not even have a language, that they had no written language of any kind whatsoever? And I can hear Al praying and saying, Lord God, I'm happy to teach these people how to read the Bible, but they don't have any language. And God said, Al, that's why I'm sending you there. I want you to write their language. You want me to make up their written language? How are they going to read the Bible, Al, if they don't have a language? All right. I'll do it. And for 50 years, this man and his sweet wife went to that group of people and starting with no written language at all, they scratched out words and letters and sentences until finally they had a coherent language 
And then using the language that God had helped them create, they translated the New Testament into the Satir language. And I could hear Al say, God, I can't do this. And God said, no, that's all right. I'll go with you. I'll help you. One of the lessons I learned early in my life was this. God's commandments are always God's enablements. If God calls you to do it, he'll help you to do it. It is inconceivable that God would call you to do something and then leave you helpless to accomplish it. And when God called this couple to the Satir Indians to translate the scripture and to write the language, they were not brilliant translators. They were just humble people who were ready to accept God's plan and understood that they weren't ever going to be alone, that God would be with them and he would help them. That's what Emmanuel does. He comes alongside of us when we're threatened by the things we know God wants us to do. And he stays with it until it's done. So that's Emmanuel, God with us, helping us in our difficult circumstances, answering our direct prayers because of what he's experienced, and equipping us for difficult things that we would never be able to do without him. I began with a story, and I'm going to take the literary license to end with one as well. For this, like the first story, helps us comprehend in a better way what it means that God has become one of us. Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard told this parable to explain why God communicated his love to us the way that he did. Here is his story. Imagine there was a king who loved a humble maiden. She had no royal pedigree, no education, no standing in the court. She dressed in rags. She lived in a hovel. She led the ragged life of a peasant. But for reasons no one could ever quite figure out, the king fell in love with this girl in the way that kings sometimes do. Why he should love her is beyond explaining, but love her he did. And he could not stop loving her. And then there awoke in the heart of the king an anxious thought. How was he to reveal his love to this girl? How could he bridge the chasm that separated the two of them? His advisors, of course, would tell him to simply command her to be his queen. For he was a man of immense power. Every statesman feared his wrath. Every foreign power trembled before him. Every courtier groveled in the dust at the king's voice. Why, she would have no power to resist. She would have to become his queen. She would owe him an eternal debt of gratitude. But power, even unlimited power, cannot command love. I mean, he could force her body to be present in his palace, but he could not force love for him to be present in her heart. He might be able to gain her obedience this way, but coerced submission is not what he wanted. He longed for intimacy of heart and oneness of spirit, and all the power in the world cannot unlock the door to the human heart. It must be open from the inside. His advisors might suggest that the king give up this love, give his heart to a more worthy woman, 
But this the king will not, cannot do. The king himself could try to bridge the chasm between them by elevating her to his position. He could shower her with gifts, dress her in purple and silk, have her crowned the queen. But if he brought her to his palace, if he radiated the sun of his magnificence over her, if she saw all the wealth and power and pomp of his greatness, she would be overwhelmed. How would he know if she loved him for himself or for all that he had given her? How could she know that he loved her and would love her still even if she had remained only a humble peasant? Would she be able to summon confidence enough never to remember what the king wished only to forget? That he was the king and she had been a humble maiden? Every other alternative came to nothing. There was only one way. So one day, the king rose, left his throne, removed his crown, relinquished his scepter, laid aside his royal robes, took upon himself the life of a peasant. He dressed in rags. He scratched out a living in the dirt and groveled for food and dwelt in a hovel. He did not just take on the outward appearance of a servant It became his actual life, his nature, his burden. He became as ragged as the one he loved so that she could be united to him forever. It was the only way. His raggedness became the very signature of his presence. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in Swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, nothing in appearance that we should desire him. The God who at the last was mocked with and then stripped of a purple robe and crucified wearing a crown of thorns. This is the ragged God. This is Emmanuel. And this is what God did to demonstrate his love to you and you and you and to me. He could not get that message across from where he was and where we were. The chasm was too great. How does the creator of the universe communicate to his creature that he loves him, that he loves her? Ah, he said, this is what I will do. I will go down to where they are and become one of them. I will take off the robes of deity and put upon myself the clothing of humanity. And as the God-man... I will give myself for them on the cross. Then they will know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. Well, when the Lord came, he didn't give away his deity. No, he didn't cease to be God. He took off the robes of his deity, the outward manifestation of it, 
but he never ceased to be who he was. And as the sinless Son of God, he walked among us, and he became our Savior. That's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. Tomorrow on Christmas Eve, our lesson will be, Why Call Him Savior? And we'll finish that up on Friday on Christmas Day. I'm David Jeremiah. My privilege all through the year has been to open the scriptures and direct your thinking in spiritual direction through the radio, through television, through written books and magazine articles and short segments and all of the stuff we do on social media. The one thing we hope has happened to you is somewhere, even in the midst of all of the unwanted sickness of the year, you have been nudged closer to the Lord God, and your walk with him is better than it was. That's what our purpose is, to draw you near to him. We have nothing to offer except to point you to Jesus, and that's what we've been trying to do. Hey, friends, before you forget it, make sure you ask for your copy of Strength for Today, the beautiful leather-covered devotional, which is our gift to those who provide an investment for Turning Point during the month of December. Make sure your gift is the best you can do, but whatever it is, be sure and ask for your copy of this beautiful devotional. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. We'd love to hear your story of Turning Point's impact on your life. Please write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's 365-day devotional, Strength for Today. It's filled with biblical truth for the year ahead, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Contact us today. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Why the Nativity? Here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. No matter what happens in the world, God is still in control, a very present help in times of trouble. Let Dr. David Jeremiah help you start each day renewed and refreshed with his new yearly devotional called Strength for Today. This beautiful leather soft book features short readings reminding you to hold tight to God's faithfulness and find wisdom from God's Word. Receive Strength for Today in appreciation for your gift this month. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. There are more people who celebrate Christmas each year than there are people who know why Jesus was born in the first place. To understand the answer to that, we can do no better than take the words of the angels who announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's the answer. 
Savior. The angels didn't say leader or example or benefactor or healer, though Jesus was all of those. They said Savior. If we celebrate the coming into the world of a Savior, what we should also be celebrating at Christmas is the salvation that he brought. This is David Jeremiah, and that is the Christmas story on Route 66. Driving the word home this Christmas on Route 66. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.